she's on the inside. She got the scoop on the ones to watch, on the ones that's hot. No one can do it quite like Caroline. Caroline. No one can do it quite like Caroline. It's time for Caroline. I am so excited about this episode. I have Michael Chandler on today. He is a two-time MMA world champion. Not only is he an incredible fighter, I have watched him fight, and it is insane. I've watched him on pay-per-view. I've watched him on the internet. This guy is crazy good. He is such a competitor. He is so great, obviously, world champion. And he's so positive. We talk all about how he stays motivated, the importance of self-talk, positive self-talk, and just the power of believing in yourself. He is such an inspirational person. I told him he needs to be an inspirational speaker in his next life because this guy is the most positive, inspiring person you will ever meet. Y'all get excited. Michael Chandler. Okay, I'm so stoked. Michael Chandler is in the house. And oh my gosh, I feel a little bit overwhelmed because <laughs> you're a world champion. You are a two-time world champion of the lightweight division for MMA fighting. Mm -hmm. And oh, we just, tell me, how did you get into this sport to begin with? And it's so layered because people are confused, like someone like me, is it boxing, is it UFC, is it MMA, is it what's Bellator? There's so many layers, there's uh -huh. so many. How did you get involved with this sport? And now you are sitting at the top of your game. So for me, it started out with just wrestling. I wrestled in high school, wrestled in college, um, was in love with the sport of wrestling. You and were, from was, the very absolutely, beginning. Absolutely, yes. What did you and love about it? Well, I think for me, I wasn't, I wasn't a big guy. I wasn't, I wasn't, good, I wasn't gonna excel at, at football because I wasn't, I wasn't big and tall and whatever. I wasn't gonna excel at basketball. Um, wrestling was that perfect kind of blue collar, work hard, and good things are going to happen, and it, and it really is the toughest sport in the entire world. I, mean, I, I, mean, I think, can only imagine. Yeah, I mean, I think if you, if you talk to anybody who's ever who has wrestled or knows wrestlers, they, they will agree that it's it's that grind and it's so hard and it's tough and it's and it's weight cutting. And when you're not weight cutting, you're training extremely hard, and then you couple them both together, and it's and it's constant ups and downs and emotional roller coaster. And it's maybe the man that I am, and the the husband I am, and the father I will be. What did um, it teach you? I mean, I think it's just. The constant stick to itness and the constant just honestly getting beat down and then build build back up and beat down and built back up and, and it's just that constant faith and that constant groundedness of knowing that if I show up every single day and I lace my you know I, I put my mouthpiece in I lace my shoes up and I go as hard as I can and I get outside of my comfort zone good things are going to happen and even when bad things do happen it's only a matter of time before. I'm back on top again, or I win again. You and you've know? seen that proven over and over again through this career that you've chosen. Yeah, so so I think there's no way that I would be sitting here as a multiple-time world champion without the sport of wrestling. You know, so it's it was great, and I wrestled at uh, wrestled in, in high school and then college wrestled at Mizzou. So wrestling is obviously different than MMA. Mm -hmm. Wrestling is not quite as intense as MMA, right? Well, to me, it's actually <laughs> a harder sport. Okay, I think I think if you if you watch a wrestling match and you watch an MMA fight, you're going to see, you know, punches, kicks, knees, elbows, cuts, bruising, stitches in an MMA fight, knockouts, submissions. Um, but the sport of the sport of wrestling, the, the amount of dedication that it takes to make it to that top one percent, is so much more than, than the sport of mixed martial arts. But when you talk about intensity, when you talk about 
entertainment and blood and guts and, and crazy uh, craziness and, and, and literally the volatility inside of a competition, mixed martial arts is, is one of the most exciting sports in the entire world. So. Do you think it's one of the more dangerous sports? Are you ever worried about your health? Um, a little bit. I think it's I think it's ignorance is bliss type of situation <laughs> you can't worry where about it. yeah you know and I just think I I wouldn't have been called to this sport. God, God would not have called me to this sport if if great things were going to happen or or harm was going to be done and. and I've had numerous sets of stitches. I've had eyes swollen shut and lips turned inside out and, and injuries and, and losses and tears and, and I've been on top of the world and I've been down in the dumps and it's been it's been such a crazy, crazy sport, but it's you know, I just I truly believe that I was I was put on this on this earth to be a world champion and, and reach people on my platform. So That's I try not to think about it, you know? But you know this is your calling. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm very big on callings too. Mm -hmm. I think we all have a calling and I think it's so important to take the time to figure out what it is. But you found yours fairly quickly right away in high school with wrestling. Yeah, with wrestling. And that, so you just, you fell in love with wrestling mm -hmm. and then you became the best at wrestling. Yes. Well, not as, not as good as I wanted to be. You know, I think, you know, I think I fell short in wrestling and that's what really propelled me to having a very successful MMA career. And I was extremely, extremely blessed. I was, I was the oldest of three boys, you know, so I was, the, I was the, I never had a big brother. But when I came into college, I immediately started taking my lumps and getting beat up by the upperclassmen. And, and um, you know, there's two guys right now who are world champions in other organizations. So I fight for Bellator. There's the welterweight champion of the UFC, Tyron Woodley. And there's the welterweight champion of 1FC, Ben Askren, who I wrestled with both of them in college. Wow, so y'all kind of rose to your, Oh, yeah. And so you were telling me earlier, Bellator, it's like UFC, Bellator, break down what those are for people so, who might be confused on how it's all divided up. Yeah, so the sport is mixed martial arts. The sport is MMA. We fight under the unified rules of mixed martial arts. Okay, and all y'all. Yeah, so underneath the sport of mixed martial arts, there are different organizations. And the organizations, the first one was the UFC. They came in, came around, and basically started the sport in 1992, 1993, I believe. And then Bellator came around in 2008. Um, there was Strike Force. There's One FC. There's World Series of Fighting. We are all the the different organizations. And then under those organizations are contracted fighters. So okay. I'm, a, I'm a 1099 employee to Bellator. Okay, you so know? you fight only Bellator fighters. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I'm I'm contracted in Bellator. And there's the guys in the UFC and there's the guys in Bellator and One FC. We don't cross promote. You know, and and how whenever my contract is up, I either choose to re-sign a deal with Bellator and continue my services with them, or I shop around, I become a free agent, just like football, just like baseball, just like basketball. Ah, oh, okay. So, oh, <laughs> there's a lot. It's just, <laughs> it's such a powerful platform that you're on because you are literally using your body as mm -hmm. your instrument yeah. to have your platform, to have your calling. And so, the training, mental, physical, how do you mentally train? Because I feel like so much of it has to be mental. Oh my gosh. So when you're transferring from wrestling and getting into MMA, are you deciding in your mind then I'm gonna be the best? Like, how, what yeah. goes on in the process of you evolving into this world ch champion? Well, I think that the funny thing about the evolution of, of my career is, is I think there's been ups and there's been downs and there's been there's been times where I have 100% believed in myself and then there's been times where either I got complacent with my self-belief or I wasn't seeking that self-belief and that motivation and, and that and that positive self-talk that I should have been. So you, and you, I find myself positive self-talk's crucial for oh you. Oh my gosh, it's it's it, it literally is everything. I think, I mean, 
in my career, I, I came into the sport sky high thinking, okay, Michael, you've, you were an All-American. I was an All-American in wrestling, which is, which is a very small percentage of, of people who, who can become All-Americans at the D Division I wrestler, as D at the Division I wrestling um, ranks in college. And so when I came into the sport, I told myself, okay, Michael, you've worked harder than all these guys. You might not be as skilled, you might not be as good on paper, you might not be ranked as high, but you can go out there and beat them. And literally a year and a half after I stepped into the cage, I became world champion and ranked top five in the world. So within 22 months or something, I was world champion right out of college. So I found success really quickly. Do you think it's because you wanted it maybe more too? Because obviously yeah. you're at this point, you all have talent. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what separates the world champions from the people who are all talented? I think it's toughness. I think it's I think it's consistency, consistent belief, and confident expectancy of of really truly believing what you deserve. You know, and I think I think. In college, I would tell the reporters, or I would tell my coach, or I would tell teammates, I want to be a national champion. I want to be a national champion. And if you watched the way I trained, I would train harder than everybody every single day. Really? Yes, but mentally, I didn't truly believe that I was going to be a national champion. I didn't truly believe You're that I You're telling yourself, though. Yeah, yeah, well, I wasn't as much back then. I, I would tell other people, but when it, when it was just me alone and my thoughts, it was the fear of being successful or um, I would you know I can remember numerous times where I was winning a match and all of a sudden I would find a way to lose you know so you if we would find a way to find a way to lose like, I would sabotage you would myself. sabotage your, you think yeah. you did it on purpose not on purpose but I think it's 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 that cognitive dissonance and and it's this is the what I've Cogn kind of, that mean, what does that mean That's a good word. so let me uh, so let me become a psychologist <laughs> really quickly <laughs> uh, no but cognitive dissonance is basically what it I think what, what is happening not truly lining up with your beliefs. So, so I was about to beat, say, a guy named C.P. Schlater, who was ranked top three in the country at the time, and I was just a freshman or sophomore. I wasn't supposed to beat him, but I was up by like five or six points. So what was happening in real life didn't line up with my self-belief. My self-belief was, you'll never be able to beat C.P. Schlater. You're not as good as him. Because maybe you hadn't gotten there yet. You, yeah. weren't, you didn't feel like you were ready yeah. yet or something. Yeah, or, or you just fear of... Fear of being fear of being great because you're not sure what is on the other side of greatness, what what that entails, or you know. So it's what is happening, not lining up with what you truly believe, you know. So I didn't truly believe that I could beat him. So I would find a way, and I ended up finding a way to lose. I got taken down, and then I got he let me go, and I got taken down again, and it's a point system, and I lost. And after the match, it was kind of like, what the heck just happened? How did you lose that match? That you had that match. So it's. So how do you process it? How do you realize that you were self-sabotaging a little bit? I think I didn't really realize it till I didn't really realize that till after college, and I started fighting, and then what I kind of change. I think it's I think really taking ownership of self-belief, taking ownership of self-talk, taking ownership of of realizing that. I mean, a couple generations ago, our parents, our grandparents, they didn't have YouTube, they didn't have podcasts they didn't have do you realize i mean yourself or our listeners at home how easy it is to pick up your phone and listen to so much positive stuff so like zig ziglar it was from like the 1980s 1970s and, and all of his stuff is still has turned into podcasts and into all of these things and you can listen to your favorite sermon your say your favorite pastor your favorite motivational speaker youtube videos i mean it's it's so easy to stay built up in the year 2017 in our generation Absolutely. you know so I think it was taking ownership of realizing that, okay, I work harder than anybody else at the gym,
but what's going to happen the other 20 hours of the day? You know, what are you going to do? It's up here. What are you going to exactly? What are you going to read? What are you going to say? What are you going to believe? What are you going to watch? What are you going to? What are you going to? What are you going oh. to decide to to kind of yes. to really dwell on? You so know. So you have made it your prime because you. Okay. Oh, you're. I'm like my head's exploding <laughs> right now. So you are someone who actually has to walk the walk and talk the talk because. Yeah. If you don't have your mental game in check, you can have your physical body at the top of your game, but if your mental game's not there, mm -hmm. that is just as important. So much more important. And a lot of people don't have to work on their mental game as much as someone like you does, because yeah. we can skate through life and we don't have to really like, you know, our yeah. careers don't depend on the state of our mental being, but you have to be tuned up all the time in your mind. Absolutely, and, and because it's, it's all, and, and really, and I always say this, I'm not actually going out there and getting locked into a cage fighting against another man. I'm, I'm really fighting against myself. You know, am, am I going to let myself go out there and perform the way that I know I can perform? Let yourself. You know, and, and that's what I always say, and, and I ask myself this all the time. Michael, somebody, at the end of the day, somebody has to be the best. Why shouldn't it be you? Why you shouldn't know? it? How Why do you, shouldn't it? You so know? you have to tell yourself that you do deserve that. Always, and, and because everything I do in the gym, live my life right, you know, what I put into my body, how often I sleep, like every single thing adds up to becoming the best fighter of all time. But on the mental aspect of it, that's, that's the only way that that doesn't happen, you know, but that's so important and, and visualization and, and really realizing that, that visualizing things, the brain, I've, I've done a lot of reading or a lot of, a lot of research realizing that the brain doesn't really truly know the difference between, you know, me picking up a pen or me closing my eyes and watching myself pick up that pen and pick up that pen. It, they, they, your brain doesn't quite know the difference between something actually happening and something visual, like you actually visualizing something happen. And I'm not going to say I can, you know, I'm going to sit here and, and, you know, say visualize something and it's going to happen like this kind of. People you know, claim that that can happen if you really do have that focus. And it really is. And now, as I get older in my career, I've closed my eyes and I've visualized stepping into the cage and the smell of the cage and the hear and, and, and the sounds of the crowd and the, the lights and then seeing my opponent in front of me and all these things. And then all of a sudden I step into the cage and I feel like I'm at home. I feel like I've been there. And I used to not do that. I used to step into the cage and just bite down on my mouthpiece and go run and, and just, and it, and it was a crazy fight. And now things have slowed down so much more because I've visualized. So you go through the fight ahead of time. What is your mm -hmm. warm up? So say, okay, you just had, Let's get to your big fight that you just mm -hmm. had because this was huge. You've already won two-time world champion, lightweight mm -hmm. of the world for the Bellator division. Mm -hmm. And so now, this summer, you're, you're gearing up again. You're going back for three, and mm -hmm. you're playing at Madison. You're not playing. You're fighting at Madison Square Garden. That was that was my last fight. That was this last Let's, one. Yeah, that was my last one at Madison Square Garden. Yes. So yeah. So tell me about that, and tell me about your process getting ready for it, and then getting in the fight, and then how dealing when dealing with things when they don't go as you have visualized. Yeah, so it was, yeah, it's the biggest fight of my, I mean, it's the biggest platform. I and mean, I think when- Madison when, Square Garden, yeah. pay-per-view. I mean, yeah. people are betting probably millions of dollars on yeah. this fight. Yeah, so so when you- when Is you, that pressure or do you not worry about that? No, I try not to. I mean, in the, in the unfortunate thing about fighting at Madison Square Garden is you don't really truly get to experience it or enjoy it because you don't want to think about Madison Square Garden. You don't want to think about warming up in the same locker room as Mike Tyson or walk in the same halls as 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 uh, George Foreman or Muhammad Ali. You don't want to think about those things because with that comes added pressure. Added pressure comes a higher heart rate. Again. Yeah, a higher heart rate and, and, and a less less mental stability, you know. So 
so you just kind of focus on the task at hand. But it's it was uh, it was awesome and it was crazy and it was the biggest platform of of my career and and uh, and it is just it's just such a crazy it's another testament to how crazy this sport is that I was better than than my opponent on paper I was better than my opponent in stats. in stats I was better than my opponent in everything and then all of a sudden 30 seconds into the fight I I rolled my ankle jammed up and, and pinched a nerve in my ankle. My whole ankle went limp, like basically for the it next- It didn't like break, because I, no. I was wondering if your foot was gonna oh, like it, it be looks, okay. It looked so bad. It was, oh my it, God. was, it was basically just, I had no control over it. You know, so my brain was telling myself to take a step forward and it wasn't working. And, oh my God, and, what are you thinking in this moment? Because <laughs> I know we're all panicking. Yeah, you know, I, th I think it was just, uh, it was just stay calm, you know, and, and I kept telling myself, you're fine, you're gonna get the distance, you're gonna knock them out on one foot. And you were just going to do it with one foot. Yeah, I was, and and I ended up the only real punch that landed landed in the entire fight was me, on one leg, and I knocked him down. And then I overzealously went and chased him, and my ankle rolled like three other times. And then the ref like stopped the fight, you know. So it was, and then the doctors came in, and and they were feeling around on my ankle. And the one doctor was looking at the other doctor and said, I think his ankle's broken. I think it's a tibia fracture, and this that and the other thing. I'm I'm just pleading with the doctors, please don't stop the fight. I promise it's just an ankle cramp. It's it's something. Just let me go back out there. I promise you I'm going to win this fight. And I kind of looked over at my opponent and gave him the old, you better hope that these guys stop the fight right now. You know, just kind of playing those those mind games and the, the that mental game. And, you know, it was, and it's, but with that comes this huge letdown. You know, this, you, you, I, I spent nine weeks away from my wife. I trained down in Florida. We saw each other four days in nine weeks, which, you you know how that is yeah. Yeah, having a traveling musician as as a husband, but it's it's so it's, it's intense and you're not ever letting up. Tough. Like no. it's not like with traveling musicians, you know, mm -hmm. at least like it's not it's not the wake up, go to bed, all you eat, yeah. sleep, and breathe is this because when you're preparing for a fight like that, you're probably yeah. so focused. Yeah, and it's and it yeah it consumes you and, and my wife is a saint for for uh, <laughs> for dealing wife. with it. Yeah, but but the dieting and the the sleep schedule and the, the training diet is and then, so you have to yeah. weigh a certain thing, you have to mm -hmm. eat a Yeah, but I have to lose about 30 pounds. I'm like 185 right now. I got to get down to 155, so How do you lose weight like that? Um diet, exercise, and then the last 10 pounds or so is just water weight, but it's So do you have a training How long is training period? Training camp is 8 weeks usually, 8-9 weeks, and it's uh so it's about 2 months and um I usually do a 12-week block training camp, but the first four weeks, <clears throat> the first four weeks is kind of pre-camp, and I don't, I'm not crazy with my diet, and I'm not crazy with my sleep schedule, I'm not crazy with all that kind of stuff, but um, that eight weeks out is go time. So. so is there a fight season? There's not a fight season. So we, we fight 12 months a year. Um, it just depends on each promotion. They, they do their schedule for each six months probably, and they say, well, hey, like right now I, I'm expecting to fight in December, but it's not set in stone yet. I'm trying to get the guy who has my belt to fight me in December. But oh, he, so you have to get the guy who's holding the belt. <clears throat> to, so yeah. basically, what if they're too scared to fight you because they don't want to give their belt up? Do yeah, they have so, the ability well, to say no? They don't have the ability to say no per se. I mean, they do, but it's it's in their be it's in their best interest to fight. I mean, he we fought in June. And so this is the Madison Square Garden fight. Mm -hmm. So you're was, saying rematch. If he doesn't give you a rematch. Yeah, well, I mean, he, he has to. He if, has if he to. doesn't, he's going to get, basically the promotion is just going to either, number one, strip him with a belt, or number two, just say, okay, well, we don't like you anymore. Therefore, we're going to go ahead and go a different direction, and you can just go ahead and sit there and organ and do whatever you want to so do. So he has to give you a rematch. Because yeah, I mean, we're all, the, yeah. the world is wanting a rematch. Because yeah. it wasn't, you know, you didn't get your fair shot. No, yeah. So it was, so it's interesting. It's And it's, 
he'll he'll give me that he'll give me the rematch. I'm, I'm hoping it's in December, but it was just it was such an unfortunate, weird set of circumstances. But it's but it, once again, it's another it's another opportunity to let the world see how you react to something, you know. And it's even so, though it was a bad thing that happened, when I get the belt back, and whenever people see the comeback, and then whenever they see how the setback set me up for the comeback, and and the way that I the way that I reacted to that loss, and the, that. That the biggest stage of my life and the biggest opportunity in my life that was pretty much taken away from me because of a, a quick little injury that was completely out of my control. They, people see that and they, they remember how you made them feel and they remember the things that you said and they remember how you carry themselves. And, they, and then if it just takes one or two young kids to say, I want to be like that someday. Or, you know, that's, that's what we get to do as fighters or as athletes or as, as anybody who's in the public eye. So it's, it's good and I'm excited to get the, get the bell back. Do you love being a comeback kid? I do, but you know, unfortunately, to be a, being a comeback kid means you had to come back from something. I know. But it, but it's it's so exhausting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I, I mean, I've had, I mean, I, I was I burst onto the scene, like I said, and I won I won the world title within two years, a year and a half, two years. Defended the belt numerous times, and I lost three fights in a row. So I was twelve and zero to start my career. Then I lost three fights in a row. I went six hundred and eighty eight days. Does that get in your head? Oh yeah, yeah. So 688 days without winning a fight, you know, and that's where I really grew the most and realized that the stuff that I was telling you about the visualization and all that kind of stuff, how important it is because, you know, it's you find yourself making jokes about it, and uh, me and my wife would be hanging out and be like, well, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose three in a row, and you make like these, you make like these dumb little jokes and you laugh about them because you're a positive person and you're you can make light light of a bad situation, but what you don't realize is that you really are teaching yourself bad habits and bad self-talk and you're continuing to lower your standards or lower lower your view of yourself by even entertaining those kind of jokes and so stuff what did like you change so, so how do you change that self-talk what are I, the first steps you do well I think number one realizing that every single person that you look up to every single person that I look up to every single person that anybody has looked up to has been a failure at one point or another mm -hmm. but realizing that failure is an event not a person is so huge and realizing that I mean we, that you could google celebrities or successful people that failed and there's a hundred oh, thousand examples gosh. right and it's but for some reason whenever you fail you think oh my gosh I'm the biggest failure ever when you think everyone's just sitting yeah, there laughing at yeah, you yeah, or exactly. talking about it exactly when when really if you realize that failure is a prerequisite to success and huh. you know that would be like when oprah says <laughs> right? I mean, it but it really, it really is because i think and and that's exactly what i did was michael you got to be perfect michael you're world champion michael people are looking at you and you're top three in the world and you're expected to perform like this 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 and this and it wasn't just my fights it became my workouts and if i got taken down or i got submitted or i i lost a sparring session or i lost this or i lost that or i i couldn't lift this weight like oh, i thought you're i could like, well, i shouldn't be doing it's, this yeah, i'm a world champion yeah and it's a lot and now it's another loss and it's another loss and it's another loss when oh. really it's not a loss these the all, these things are just that these things are just the chain of events that that happen in a in a fight camp or in a career and, and so many every like i said every single person that we've looked up to you you we look at them we think man i wish i could be like that or I wish I could be like that but what you don't realize is that layer of failures and, and, oh and shortcomings and setbacks that they've had and I think realizing and, and it, it comes with maturity and it comes with it comes with being around the block and and you know but if I if I was sitting here and talking to an 18 year old guy who's so excited to fight and become the best fighter in the world he's gonna think I'm a little bit crazy you know talking about 
failing and, and then becoming successful um, because we think we just have to be successful all the time. But you're going to fail. But it's an event and it's not a person. And it's that's really what it is. And it's I am living proof of that. And so I am I have been the comeback kid numerous times. But, you know, I think it's just like I said, taking extreme ownership, realizing that my brain and my mind and myself, my self-esteem and my self-image you could you could sit there and give me all the compliments in the world, but if I don't receive them, and if I don't truly believe them, if I don't truly give them to myself and 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 continue to grow on my own in my own head, in my own body, in my own spirit, that growth doesn't actually happen. You know, mm-hmm. so it's really taking ownership of your own your own mental um, your own mental warfare, honestly. You know, so. So tell me, what is your motivation? Why do you do it? Why do you press on? You know, I think motivation continues to change. You know, um, I, I think now it's it's realizing that that I am not just a fighter, but I'm a husband, and I'm going to be a future father. And, and we don't have children yet, but I know I already see their faces. I already, I already you do. So you're visualizing that oh, too. I'm, yeah, I'm excited, and, it, and it's them, but it's also me being a great father, or trying to become a great father, or doing the things that I want to do that that adds up to being a great father and a great leader and, and, a, and a great servant to them and, and my wife. But um, so that is part of it now. Um, but I think I think in the very beginning and it has stayed the, the same, what has stayed the same is realizing that I've been given such a great opportunity to be sitting here on two capable legs and have two capable arms to literally be able to go out and do something that point zero 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 one percent of the world gets to do, you know, and to be able to even on the days that it's horrible, even on the days that it's painful, even on the days that I want to cry, even on the days that I'm icing this or I'm taking ibuprofen for that or, you know, and you get beat down, even on those bad days, there's so many people that would love to be in my position and I have such a great opportunity that I've been given and such a platform that I have to be able to inspire so many people. And so I think it's it's that. And it's not, and it's not that I feel that there's an obligation or I have to do this because of other people. There's still that inner drive and that inner knowing that God put me in this sport for a reason. But it is realizing that so many people have done so much more with what they have. So I've been given these gifts and I'll be darned if I'm going to squander them, you know. So I have been given so many amazing gifts and hopefully I can continue to fight for a really long time, but probably just another couple of years and then we'll sail off into the sunset and figure out what the next venture is. I love, though, that you take such, take your talents so seriously because I feel that if we all could dig into our soul and really latch on to our talent mm-hmm. and treat it like the gift that it is, like how you have done with yours, I feel like the world would be such a happier place because yeah. people would be fulfilling the reason why they're on this earth. Mm-hmm. And that's... And I've, I don't know where I read it. I'm not going to say it's my quote, but I think, um, but I read something that, that um, kind of disregarding or, or not fully living out that, um, that purpose in your life is, is, a, slow, is a slow suicide. You yes. Know, you, you, get, you, you get so far along and you realize, why didn't I take this chance? Or why didn't I, you know, stop this or stop that or, or decide to do this or decide to do that, you know? And, and Honestly, for me, it's it's easy, and th- and that's when you know that's when you know it's you're doing what you're called to do when it's easy. I was gonna know? say, how do you know when you're on the right path? I think it's, I don't wake up every morning and like, gosh, I gotta go to work out again, or gosh, I gotta go to this 
thing again or gosh I got to go you know eat right again here's my eggs and avocado and spinach and I'm, I just did it for the last you know six <laughs> months blah 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 you know it's and it's you know it's you're not mad about it no 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 not at all because I realize it's the means to the end it's it's a means to an end which in the end is the end goal is is winning a fight and each time you win a fight it's a bigger platform and each each bigger platform is more and more people and more and more eyeballs and more and more um, people that can hear your name or, or hear the words that you speak you know so um, it's it is it's easy you know that's when you know you're doing what you're called to do is when it becomes the routine is easy for you and it's not you there's no there's nothing holding you back and you just continue to move forward in something and the goals get bigger and the goals get scarier but you're not afraid because you know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Oh, I love so. that. Okay, I want to ask you a few like little kind of rapid fire oh, questions. Okay. They're kind of gonna go a little deep. Oh shoot. Because I know you have <clears throat> blessed tattooed on your chest. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is awesome that you tattooed that on your chest. So mm -hmm. when you're in the ring, the first thing people are seeing, obviously you're gonna go straight to your tattoo, mm -hmm. is blessed. And why is that so important for you to have that as your statement piece? I think well, I think it goes back to realizing how truly blessed I am. You know, and and it's not. It's not a proclamation that, hey, look at me, look how blessed I am. It's it's me when I look in the mirror and I realize that I am so blessed. And I did have parents that poured into me and, and I had a phenomenal childhood and they did everything they possibly could to put me to where I am. And then I worked extremely hard and I had extremely great people in my path and God has put so many perfect people in my path for the perfect season that I was in to get me to that next level, to get me to that that next breakthrough and then meeting my wife and then and then now we have the next 50, 60, 70 years to continue to move forward and meet more people and, and it's just been, I've been so truly blessed that it's a constant reminder for me that to give anything less than my best every single day really is to sacrifice those blessings and, and I do it sometimes and then, but it's a kick in the butt to realize, hey, why are you being lazy or hey, why, why are you not doing what you said you were going to do, to do. Why are you not giving 110%? Because there's going to be days that are like that, you know? But you realize, you know, you just kind of acknowledge the time that was, that was lost or you acknowledge the day that you were lazy or you acknowledge the bad decision that you made and you realize that the sun really will come up tomorrow morning and yesterday really did end last night and you continue to move forward. So that's kind of my, that's kind of where the, the blessed tattoo came from, I believe. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a few rapid question, fire questions. Okay. What is faith? You, can just, you don't have to give a long answer. You can give one word. You can give whatever you feel called to give. But what is faith? What does faith mean? Faith is, is I think, blindly moving forward with something that you truly, truly believe and the conviction that you know, you know the truth. You know, you know, um, yeah, I guess just the truth. You know, like you, you know, you know what it is even though you're not 100% sure of everything, but you know what it is. That makes sense. Yes, totally. <laughs> what is the point of this life? The point of this life, I think, is um, for me, it's, it's helping and inspiring as many people as possible, whether it be through direct contact or whether it be someone that you've never even met um, and truly, fully living up to your potential because if you do truly live up to that potential, more and more people are going to be impacted. What is the one thing that causes people to get in their own way? I think it's the lack of self-belief, you know, and it's, and it's, and it is so hard. Sorry, I might go a little bit okay. longer than, go anywhere you than want. rapid. I might, might be a little no. less rapid, but <laughs> I think, great. I think it's, I think it's, 
that self, that lack of self-belief, and a lot of times it's because we are afraid of being cocky or afraid of being overconfident or afraid of being looked at like better than people. And I think I did that. And my- You didn't want to act like you were aloof or mm, above. No, and, that's, and it's so hard because, because in order to be successful, if you, in order to be up here, that means there has to be people below you, right? You know? So it's, there's this weird, there's this weird being, becoming the best at something, whether it's sports or this or that or the other thing, there has to be people that are still working to, to try to get towards you and they maybe think that you are better than them, but you can't, it's so hard, it's hard for me to describe, but it, it's, it's that, it's a saying. cognitive dissonance. That's another cognitive dissonance because it's I saw it. almost. Yeah, and it's, and it's, and it's trying to do your best, but doing it in a way that people know that you just got there with hard work and humility, you know? So it's hard to be humble and, and show humility while also being the best, but it can be done, you know? And there's so many examples of it out there. Is that one of your missions is to show that, to expose your humility and hard work while being the best? Yeah, because I think, you know, I mean, you, we, we see it all over the world. We see it in the movies. It's like, you know, the nice guy finishes last, right? Or, um, you know, or the, the bad guy, doesn't care about anything and he rubs so many people the wrong way and he does so many of the wrong things, but he becomes the best because the good people were afraid to achieve that because they were good people. But or he they didn't were, care. He just plowed through and exactly, went for it. Exactly. You know, so it's, it's so hard and that's, but I think it, this generation, I think our generation was called to show that you can be a great person and show humility, but also be wildly successful and wildly, whatever, whatever it is for you to mean successful, it doesn't necessarily mean money or it doesn't necessarily mean fame. But it could mean money, and it could be fame. You could, you know, it, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being wildly successful and making a ton of money, and and, and having a ton of, of people following you, and have a huge following, and, and sell books, and do this, and do that. Whatever success is for you, there's nothing wrong with being extremely, extremely successful, because that, if you live the li if you live a life that still shows humility. Do you think God prepares people for success by putting them through trials and suffering and pain before? Do you think that's part of the process to become great? Do you think that's it's, necessary? Or do you think you can avoid that? I think, I think it's absolutely necessary. It, it is hard to, I mean, as, as a Christian, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to say that God would have you know, wanted, you know, because it's the age-old question, why does God, if God is such a loving and, and forgiving and amazing God, why does he let bad things happen to good people? I know people? that, and like you know, right and now, Houston, the flood, like exactly, why are these you things, know? why does it happen? And it's, and that, I think that's one of those questions that's so deep and so layered and so hard to answer. Um, so along that same vein, I think what we describe, or what, what our definition of bad is, might be wrong sometimes, you know, so, so maybe God, did let us go down a path that led to a dead end or led to a loss or led to heartbreak. a setback or heartbreak. And it was such a bad thing. But if, but if that bad thing turns into something good, was that really a bad thing? You know, so that perception of what bad is, I mean, I've had a lot of bad things happen in my life, but I can look back and say, well, that wasn't so bad. And yeah, it was bad at the time, but shoot, if, if this happened because of that, I guess it wasn't really a bad thing. So it's our perception every single day, and it's and it really is just believing that that believing in God's will. You know, I mean, the older I get, the less I pray for things. Really, and I pray and I pray 
that God's will be done, right? You know, is that what you pray every day? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, because I think, like, like we said, you know, if something bad happens, that means maybe I was praying for something to happen, and then all of a sudden a bad thing happened. Or maybe maybe the bad thing was that not happening or that not coming to fruition, but that might just be a closed door that's going to lead to another open door, right? You know, so it's, yeah. I don't know, the older you get, you, the, the, more more you, you the more you realize yeah. that, you're just trying to make it in this world. You're just, you're just, we're just flying by the seat of our pants. And I think, I think that's something that, that if people live, live by that as well, that realizing that you might look at this person or that person and realize they got it all, they have it all together, or think they have it all together, but they're just trying to make it in this world or they're just, they're just flying by the seat of their pants too. And you're yes. just living on a whim and a prayer and, and just hoping that, hoping that good things happen, you know, and that's the older I get, the more I kind of have that, I guess, carefree kind yeah. of mentality. So what has marriage taught you? Oh my gosh. Oh man, it's it's been the most amazing thing ever. You have an incredible wife. Oh. Y'all have an incredible, <laughs> but I feel like y'all have done marriage right. You have the right oh. perspective for marriage. Yeah, I think it's it's been tough. I mean, not tough. It's it's with my career. Right. I mean, I, I long story short, it, I chased her for like seven years, and she didn't. I didn't really chase her. I like I had an idea of her for about seven years when I was Did in you college. Know her? Didn't really even know her. You I knew like, I knew her dad, and I knew his reputation. You just loved around. her right away. Gosh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. It's How long amazing. story, long story. Like, what was it about her you loved? Well, I, I just knew there was this idea of what I had of her, and then the day that we met, it could have been a huge letdown. You know, it could have been like, well, shoot, guy, glad I wasted all that time dreaming, thinking, thinking about this Brie Willett girl. Um, <laughs> but I went and I got this tooth knocked out in college wrestling, and then the University of Missouri sent me to her dad. He's a dentist. My and then I was, a dentist, yeah. yeah, there you go. See, yeah. um, so we're sitting there, and and I was looking at all these pictures and his family photos, and I'm like. Dang, that's a cute little that little brunette is cute. I wonder if that's his daughter. And then I, you know, so turns, thank God you got your tooth knocked exactly. out. Exactly, I will never, and it's still there. It's I've had twenty fights now, and this tooth is still sticking in there. It's still, still got some good glue. Um, but and then, anyways, in a roundabout way, my Bible study leader was in a Bible study that he led, and then I was in another Bible study that all of her friends were in and it was just so I kept hearing these little stories about this girl Brie Willett I'm like that's that girl man that's that girl and then of course in our industry or in our not industry in our uh in our day and age in our generation it's so easy to hop on facebook.com and then you know type in their name and it's like wow okay cute 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 really really <laughs> cute oh wow she likes this oh wow you know so uh -huh. so I had this vision of, of for some reason I had this crush on her and eventually we finally I finally asked her to coffee and here we are Five almost, or it's, we've been married three years now, but it's been a little over four years. But what's the um, secret to marriage? The secret to marriage is, is, I don't know. I think it's just constant service. You know, I think it's for us. It's, I mean, if we're not kind of doing something for the other person, not out of, not out of, um, not out of necessity, but just out of love or out of, just to constantly. That's that's how I show her how how much I love her is is doing things for her or reminding her how much I love her through, you know, there's the, the love languages and, and, oh, yeah. and we, and we, we practice those as, as much as possible. And I think it's just constant service and it's constant humility. I mean, that's, that's really what it is, is you never really have to be, um, I don't know, just that, that raw, like here I am, this is, this is, this is me from head to toe. This is who I am, you know, and these are my insecurities and these are my fears and these are my, these are my goals and these are my doubts and these are my everything. And, and she's been with me when I was the world champion, right? you know, top three in the world, and then all the way down in the dumps, losing three fights in a row, um, 
and we've gone through this together and it's been it's made our marriage stronger and it's and we will be the parents that we are going to be because of of the losses and the the time away from each other you know she's been so awesome through my travel and my training camps and my wins and my losses so i think that the secret to marriage is is waking up every morning and realizing how truly blessed you are to have that person and that constant service of the humility of I'll do anything in the world for you, you know? So it's kind of what, what we do. I love that. <laughs> and y'all just so, moved to Nashville. And we just moved to Nashville. And so. is it you guys are going to be planting roots here? And planting roots, yes. We, yeah, we, uh, we got a house here. So, yeah. Yes, and I'm opening up a gym. Okay, yeah. so we yes. can all come to your gym. What's it can called? Where is gym. it? Um, it is not open yet. It's going to be Paramount Fitness. And it's right across the river in East Nashville. That's where I live. There the you east go. Side. The east side. Yeah. Paramount Fitness. Paramount Fitness. Yeah, we're on. We're going to be on Davidson Street, right so there. So what where, can we expect in the gym? So the gym is going to be um, obviously since I'm a fighter, we're going to. My goal is to put Nashville on the map as a mixed martial arts city. You know, awesome. we've we got a couple MMA gyms here, but no real true blue pro fighters that live here. Uh, we had two guys that are in the UFC right now, Dustin Ortiz and Luke Sanders, who are from Nashville or from Franklin that had to go to Arizona or California to go get their training because there's not a training hub here. So, so you want to make this a training that's hub? That's what I want to build. I mean, this is, it's such a big city. It's such a, or not, it's not yes. a huge city anymore, but it's a growing city. Yes. But it's a big enough city that we should have a phenomenal fight team. You're right. Now, you know, so. Um, I have no doubt that you're going to yeah. make this happen. There we go. So it'll be, we'll have a pro fight team, but but it'll be open to the general public. It'll, we're going to have a uh, fitness group classes and one-on-one -on -one training, as well as um, adult and children's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, adult and children's MMA kickboxing classes and all that kind of stuff, plus a wrestling club. And so we're going to have a ton of programs and hopefully change a bunch of people's lives. Heck. Get them in shape. Yes. Okay, so before we wrap up, my last question I like to ask all my guests. Well, one, I really want to know this from you. What is some advice you would tell your younger self? Um, I think just don't put so much pressure on yourself, and there's nothing wrong with being successful. There's absolutely nothing wrong with being successful. I love that. This kind of goes hands in hand with my last question, which is leave your light which is leave some inspiration. How have you been inspired? What is it that you want your legacy to be and your inspiration to be? Or how have you been so inspired? Um, yeah, so I, I think it's it, it continues to go back to, to realizing and counting your blessings and realizing that um, you've been put in a position to be able to do, to do something great. And every single day that you don't give your best is, is squandering those gifts that you've been given. And constantly remembering that it's not that people don't do the right things it's that people don't do the right things for long enough you know Ooh. yeah oh <laughs> that's that's good that's that well that's been you know because people give up when it gets hard you're con well and you're you're just a constant work in progress we all are gosh i'm gonna i'm going to fail again and i'm going to fail again um but through all that i'm going to become a successful person and it's and if you can and if you can continue to move forward and continue to fight literally or or figuratively for long enough, eventually you're going to continue to find success. So it's not that people don't do the right things. We can all do the right things for a day or a week or a month, but it's just that people don't do the right things for long enough. And so many of us have, have given up on a dream or given up um, on anything or any endeavor just moments before they were about to have that breakthrough or moments before they were finally going to shake that one hand that got them to the next level. And 
you know, I think Nashville is a city of that, you know, and it's, and it's all about who you know and constantly grinding and trying to make it and scrape to the top, you know, and that's, that's really what it is. It's not that people don't do the right things, it's that they don't do them for long enough. Heck yes, Michael Chandler. Mm -hmm. You know what your second half career is? Motivational speaking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, I'll like you, it. Tony Robbins, Joel Osteen, you oh, were right okay. there with that's, them. That's some big shoes to fill. You, you have the feet <laughs> to walk in them. <laughs> right. Michael Chandler, like <laughs> thank you for joining me on my show. Oh, you're amazing. Ah, thank you. You're the best. How inspiring was that episode? I mean, Michael Chandler has to be the most inspirational person on the planet. Him, Joel Osteen, and Tony Robbins. Them together are the most inspiring people. He is so uplifting. I feel like I just went to church or went to school or learned so much by just being around him and hearing what he had to say. I know you love that episode. Get excited next week. I have Jessie Alexander in the house. She is one of the most incredible songwriters in Nashville. She wrote The Climb for Miley Cyrus. She wrote I Drive Your Truck for Lee Bryce. She's written so many songs. Her story is so inspirational. I mean, there's a theme here. I like inspirational people. So get fired up. Jessie Alexander next week. See y'all soon.